love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, it is race week for you. I feels like it's been race week. Like, you know, we've had, a, we've had a plethora of racing so far in 2023. Uh, what race are you doing this weekend? Yeah. So I am racing the Shenandoah Epic. It's a 24 hour adventure race down in front Royal Virginia. So we race kind of through some of my old stomping grounds, which is going to be really fun. It is consisting of trekking, um, paddling, paddling in canoes and mountain biking for 24 hours. So, um, with map and compass navigation, of course, and I'm on a, how's your paddling training been going? So, uh, not so good. Well, it depends because one of the big schools of thought is that like to train for paddling, just swim a lot. Right. And so most people don't really want to swim a lot, but by nature of the one water race that I'm training for this year, I have been swimming a lot. So I am hoping that will translate really good into the paddle strength. And then I've been watching some paddling videos on YouTube every now just to be like, all right, this is how you go fast. So hopefully that translates too. We'll see, but, um, we're excited to race. This is the first time I think, I think I've always been doing adventure. Oh, well, I did the Scotland race as a team before that was like the five day expedition race. Um, those are always teams of four I'm doing this race. Uh, well, I don't think they necessarily always are, but I think anyway, um, this race as a team of four, which is exciting. So we haven't yet raced a 24 hour with, um, with four people. So it's myself and then Matt and Will, who are kind of my normal teammates. And we brought in one of our friends, Danny. So he works with Matt here locally. And, um, we're, we're excited to kind of introduce him to the sports and more and see how he, I mean, of course he'll love it. So, you know, just see how much he loves it. How does team of four change in 24 hours change the dynamic? Does that mean you'll probably be able to go faster or, or, uh, you know, just having more people slow you down? Cause I mean, like, it can like, work not North. Yeah. It can work either way. Right. Because it is in some ways, like one more person that could potentially be a liability in terms of dehydration, in terms of bonking, in terms of, yeah, like questioning the navigator, you know? So, but it's all, and it's like, you then also then paddle in two boats, right? So if a three-person team, which we've always done, we're all in one canoe, but now we'll be two and two in two canoes, um, which actually, if you know how to paddle like well, I think is going to be better because um, it sounds like the water is lower. So like having less weight in the boats will be in theory faster, I think at this race, but we'll see. Um, I, I just like, like the team to always be like close together. So like, I liked us all in one boat. I'm like, let's just put four of us in one boat. It'll be fine. Like no issues of separation, but, um, we'll see how that goes. But then also 24 hours is a really long time to be racing. And so I think having that fourth person is just going to be nice because it's one more person, you know, with good energy, like, helping that high and lows like that are ebbing nonstop. Like hopefully they'll be having a high when people are having a low and they'll just kind of help keep the energy positive and like 
you know, going through those dark hours of the night, that sort of thing. Um, so I think it'll be interesting, but I'm looking forward to it for sure. Okay. And you mentioned hydration and that rang a bell for me because, uh, I am under a month from a big event where I have heard hydration is important. And that is actually the, uh, Taylor Swift era's tour concert, <laughs> a very different kind of event, but my sister just went in, uh, Dallas in Arlington area. And that was her biggest tip for me coming out of that was like hydrate. She said she was destroyed for like two days after like my sister was, (laughs) she said she has no idea how Taylor does it like sings and dances for more than three hours straight. So I think we have very much established that Taylor Swift is an endurance athlete. Um, because my sister said she was so tired like just being in the audience. So I'm like actually saying that my like triathlon training is preparing me for for that concert, I'm going to Nashville in early May, but, um, I I'm already like working on my hydration plan for, for that concert. Cause I, I don't really have two days to spare after, but Alyssa, like here's other exciting news. We, we didn't really know exactly how the PTO opens, uh, selection process was exactly going to happen. And I think I'm ranked somewhere in the thirties these days. And, I got a roll down to Ibiza. What? Yeah. But then I turned it down because I was going Uh to Taylor Swift because Taylor Swift's on May 5th. And then I, and I had, I mean, when I said I would go, I'm going with my friend, Megan, and we, we picked Nashville because it just sounded cool. And cause I, it was a very, I mean, I don't know if I documented the whole process of getting tickets on the podcast. I think I lamented a little bit because it was very painful. It was very, very painful to get these tickets. And at the time, I think the only race in the calendar that weekend was St. George 70.3. I feel I have a strong allergy to that area. So I had no interest in going there. And, uh, and then Abitha came up, but I'm, I'm committed to Taylor Swift. I feel like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And, um, I think all the hotels already sold out in Abitha. I mean, I think Megan needs to like write to Taylor and let her know that this special event that you are missing. So that maybe you can get a shout out or something. I don't know. I feel like this I am- like, like at a, if we, if you were, if this was like a baseball game, you would get like the camera on you at some point, right? Like the smile cam would definitely be on you. So like, I don't know, we need to, I feel like me and it's like, oh, but Nashville is a good pick. Nashville's like a hometown crowd for Taylor, right? So that's, that's be well, that's special. what I'm thinking. And Phoebe Bridgers is opening. And so okay. we're hoping, you know, maybe there's like an acoustic duet, nothing new. You know, I like that song. Um, and I, uh, what was I going to say? I've, I have really wanted to go to a PTO open. I have never been invited or made the cut before. And so that is an experience I would like. Hopefully it comes around again. If this was my one chance ever, I think I'd still pick Taylor. I'm sorry, triathlon. I love you, triathlon. Like my life is dedicated triathlon, but I just feel like, you know, I don't know. Do we think Taylor Swift is ever going to go on tour again? And I, 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 I'm not, I'm not banking on it. I mean, who knows? I, I don't take anything for granted these days. You definitely have to seize the opportunities in these instances, Haley, and you should just start preloading electrolytes and all sorts of hydration now, because that is going to be a very big, a lot of time on feet. Hopefully Matthew's writing in some time on feet plan into your plan as well. Like standing, like, no, you can't run for three hours. You just have to stand and like maybe dance. And okay. But this is another <laughs> issue I've had. I've like planned out my outfit. I tried it on the other day and actually I feel like it's a little too tame. Um, you know, I'm like, there are not enough sequins based on what I have seen from other people, but 
Uh, Hannah did say comfortable shoes were important. And so I feel like the shoes I have are pretty comfortable. Um, you know, they are, were selected more for fashion. Um, but now I am like, oh no, do I, should I just do like running shoes? Like, I don't, yeah. I, you think I so? don't know. Ufos, right? Like what do people wear to the concerts? That's what, I know some like extra cushion away as a runner, but I feel like it would be fine because you could just some be like, VJ shoes. Should I, yes. I have super grip <laughs> as oh I have to run? To they the might not like of all places, VJ shoes might be like not perfect for the Taylor Swift because your feet are so sticky with the grip and they would stick to the floor. You wouldn't be able to dance. So not there, unfortunately, you guys only, yeah, leave those at home. Um, but I I have a month, I have a month to work on this. I am planning it. Like I am planning a race and, um, I hopefully haven't turned off any of our audience by, uh, by my enthusiasm here, but if I have, it's okay. You can, you can find a more serious podcast elsewhere. And Haley, also part of your perhaps like pre-concert routine will be the perform from AminoCo with, which is, we're very excited to announce that today that AminoCo is on board as a new sponsor of the Iron Women podcast. And you can go to AminoCo.com and get, we'll also share some links. I think some special Iron Women podcasts, like links for the products that have we have a landing page. Yeah, our pictures. Don't go to the basic thing because I want you guys to find the link in the show notes and click on that one because we, we took some pictures of ourselves with the products. And so you guys should definitely go there and look at those pictures. But you get 30% off with the code Iron Women. So and we it's have a, been using these wanna, products for I can say that I can say what the um the website is. I oh yeah, it. yeah. If you have it, it is aminoco.com forward slash pages forward slash iron women. You should definitely check it out. There's a very large picture of me that I, a selfie that I took that I thought would never see the light of day <laughs> and is now, um, I know I was like, this will be on their Instagram story or something. I'm sure that's why they're asking me for this. And so, yeah, but did you see my second one? My second one's really good guys. You got to scroll all the way down. It's like down there somewhere. And I took that one on my own and I'm very, Wait, the one of you like, like Stirring it in. Mm-hmm. You did that on your own because it definitely on looks like my you own. have a photographer there and like lighting and stuff. I know. That is well no. done. Um, I'm very but proud my, of that. Mine definitely looked like I did it on my own. I did use a phone <laughs> stand for one of them, the one where I look very serious. <laughs> that one took me a couple tries, actually, I think, to like, you know, it, you can kind of tell it's like mid poor, but um, like my but whole no. camera rolls like thousands of pictures of dogs and yeah. me trying to take sponsor product photos. And I'm like, nope, 50 more tries. Let's see. If I, I well, right. also, I'm like, okay, I literally did take those photos in the hotel room in Chile because I did bring my Amino Co perform to Chile because I had been using it in, I mean, they're just amino acids. Like they're, they're like very light, uh, drink, I guess you mm-hmm. like you mix it in and it's a very light drink, but I swear it feels, it tastes great. And it has made some of my workouts feel really good enough to that. I brought the canister to Miami and to Chile. So I had it there in the hotel room to take some photos. And this was me like literally pre ride, just prepping a, a bottle. Um, and I'm like in my bibs, just hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> while you were in Chile, I was in the tundra that was Vermont that weekend. I think it wrapped up in my like puffy coat, stirring it in, stirring in the heel into my like recovery drink I was making. So, um, both of those, I like the, the flavors have been really, really good that I've tried. I have been pleasantly surprised that it doesn't taste like chalk or dirt, which is something you find a lot of time with supplements. So, um, everyone check them out and Haley, 
we don't have any mailbags this week because our mailbag dried up last week. People haven't been sending in their questions. And so everyone think of a question, send it to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to answer it and fill up that mailbag again. I have one other thing, uh, update. I mean, did you, I know, I know you did. You watched the, uh, arena games last weekend, uh, super league. And I I didn't watch the men's race. I only watched the women's race. I watched both. The women's race was better, of course. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I mean, it, it is like fascinating to watch. I mean, it looks so hard and I mean, I think we're not spoiling anything. Sophie Lynn from Australia won the world championship. So because she had raced also in Montreal, got second in Montreal, uh, got third, I think in London. And so won the world championship, Gina Serino in second from the U S and I have forgotten third place. I need to look that up. I apologize. Um, I think it was like Ronnie. And -hmm. then her last name was something that it's not easy to pronounce off the top of my head. So I forget, but look it up or I don't know. Can you look it up right now? And then, so, but then the actual London race, well, I just said London race, Beth Potter, um, one, so she had only, she won the actual race, didn't win the series, individual but incredible. I mean, Beth Potter's on fire one in Abu Dhabi won the arena games. I mean, her, her swim her bike in a run. We're both like, or all three were so strong. Cassandra Bograd was second. So another, uh, very fast swimmer. I mean, 210, 200 meters, very solid, uh, to like lead out that first swim. And then also known as a very good runner from France. And then Sophie Lynn was in, in third there, which I think she said was a surprise for her. So, um, super fun to watch. I think, I really think the only thing the arena games is missing to make it like the best spectator triathlon for like what it is, right. Is they need to pull a random part, random volunteer from the crowd and have them start the first race when the ladies start their race and just have them like watch the women bust out their two races. And this poor soul from the crowd is still like working on the first race while they're like wrapping up probably the second or the third race. Right. I do think it's like, it's just, it's so hard for people. This has been my fascination with all the racing lately, how fast it is. It's like so hard for people to truly understand unless you've ever tried to go at the paces that they are racing at. And so it would be really, really fun to watch like how long it's actually taking a normal human being to swim 200 meters or to do that bike or to do that run. Right. And so, um, or just to like hop on that treadmill and get it going. Like, I think a normal person running on a curved treadmill would also be pretty fun to watch. So that's my arena games. Um, I write that into their mailbag. Okay. I do love that. It was Ronnie Scrabania from the Netherlands. That is who was third in the world series. Um, apologies to Ronnie for not remembering her name initially, but okay. I was thinking about this the other day because I was swimming, I swim at a 300 at a, a meters at like a, a moderately hard pace. And I went three minutes and like 56 seconds ish, which is what, uh, uh, summer Macintosh swam for 400 meters recently. And I was thinking about that. So I was like, wow, if summer Macintosh were in the lane next to me right now, she would just lap me in a 50 meter pool. And I mean, hopefully yes. if I was swimming next to her, it would like, you know, spur me on a little and I'd go a little faster, but still I was like, and I'm pretty fast. And so I'm like, wow, if you had like, you know, there's certain people I'm like, you would have them swim, they swim at 200 in the time that summer swim 400, like you get lapped 
twice and you could be going like a decent pace. Like that's not, I mean, slow. With the, if and like with the dive starts, it's not like, slow. I'm just, I'm just picturing the dive starts, like a normal human next to these women who are swimming that fast. Like the, the, the normal, you don't even need a normal human. Human. You just need me. Well, that's, that's true, what, but it would be like, that's really Lionel was like there for. Human. Yeah. That's what Lionel's there for. That's why Gustav Eden. I mean, Lionel wasn't in London, but Gustav Eden did race in London. And I think he, he gave a little perspective. He had a solid solid performance. I think he finished fifth, um, you know, despite some penalties, but which showed that there is a learning curve to super league, but I think yeah. they do have age group super league races. And that's oh. one reason, um, hmm. there was some of the, I think at Ronnie, Ronnie's Krabagna might have, uh, come from age there. group oh, nice. super league initially. And then now as a pro, I believe they said that I could be wrong, but, um, but yeah, that's what everyone always says, like having that at the Olympics, like to help, like help uh like it's just so important to remember how hard what they're doing truly yes. is well, so. if, when everyone's so fast it doesn't look as fast but right um did you see that one simulation of like Usain Bolt running against a quote-unquote normal person um it was like a animation oh yes yeah well and Sonia Richards Ross have you seen this video that's like floating around on Instagram lately I don't think so I, think it was no. her. I believe it was her she went to like her child's um, field day or something oh, and ran yes. like a hundred yard or 60 yard dash or something. And like, that is what I want to see. I want to yeah. just see that kind of stuff. Like She's all like day. Destroying the trainer. The I mean, yes. I mean, that's what I live for. It's so good. So good. Do you, do you think you could be that person? Like, do you ever want to like, just go rock, rock up to some, like, um, I don't know the dog park and then just like, be like, want to race <laughs> to all the other dog moms. Do you want to race in a 200 mile, um, hiking adventure? Please let's yeah. go now. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, but anyway, lots of good entertainment. Um, I mean, the weather's warming up here finally in Bozeman. So, I mean, maybe trainer entertainment isn't quite as needed. No, we're still, we're still getting snow. I'm sure on some days, but um, you know, we need trainer entertainment all, all year long. So cool to see super league arena games, getting a lot of attention, you know, those world triathlon series races get, uh, great coverage. And, and then Oceanside had really good coverage, which is, uh, basically what we're going to talk about today with our guests. Yes. Tell us who we have on today, Haley. Yeah. So we are talking to Tamara Jewett and Nicole Falcaro. So, Tamara and Nicole are teammates on the real triathlon squad, and they both just opened their seasons at Oceanside 70.3. You may have been watching that coverage. I think it was on outside TV, and I believe you can only watch the replay if you are an outside member, but it might be worth it because it was a fun race to watch. Tamara used her incredible 113-00 half marathon split to run her way into first place, a huge victory for her and her third 70.3 win. Nicole opened her season with a really solid 10th place. And we talked to both of them about their races, what it's like to be on the real tri squad, including what it was like at their pre-race squad camp in Henderson, Nevada, and what they have planned for the rest of the season. So we'll have that conversation with Tamara and Nicole right after the break. Welcome to the Iron Woman podcast, Tamara Jewett and Nicole Falcaro. You're both returning guests, but it has been a while since we've chatted with both of you, and we're excited to have you together this time. So to help our audience distinguish your voices, maybe we should start by letting you say your name, where you are in the world right now, and how you're feeling just about a week after Oceanside 70.3. So let's start with Nicole. All right. So I'm Nicole Falcaro, and I am currently in... Washington, Utah, which is right by St. George, Utah, on a training camp with my coach, uh, the Julie Dibbins squad. And I'm typically in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, 
where I live and work and most of it when I'm not at camp. So um, how I'm feeling a week after Oceanside, it feels like forever ago because after right after Oceanside, the next day I flew back to New Hampshire. And then on Wednesday, I flew back out to St. George. And I'd say I ramped up and had a hard session on Thursday. So I was like very tentative about how my body would feel. But um, just being in the camp atmosphere and having, I mean, I took Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday really easy um, has kind of rejuvenated me. So I'm feeling pretty good despite all that. That is a very impressive turnaround. And Tamara, how about you? Hey, so uh, Tamara, I am in Stouffville, which is home. It's just outside of Toronto. And uh, yeah, I'm still feeling good about the race, but I do feel a bit like I came home to a huge pile of chores and tax season and sort of paperwork to to work through. So I'm kind of getting through that and uh, physically feeling good. I think a lot of the fatigue kind of hit me around Friday and I had to change some training around, but then I got a really good session in Sunday that kind of validated uh, taking a bit of extra, extra rest uh, a couple of days earlier. So, so training sort of back on a smooth path and getting, getting a good few hard weeks in before, uh, Ibiza in May. And Tamara, you've called Oceanside the highest profile win of your professional triathlon career. And you've written about how this win has helped change the narrative of your athletic career and really even your life. So kind of take us like, how do you feel about the past version of you who kept on going, even though at those times, like in those moments, you kind of thought or felt that your best athletic performances might've been in the past? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure about changing the whole narrative of my life. That sounds like a very like big thing to put on one race, (laughs) but, but we'll go with athletic career. I think um, I mean, I think triathlon sort of gradually in general has done that, but it just felt really good to put together such a strong race against, um, like really, really top level competition like that. And to, to feel strong, um, and it was nice to get a little attention for that too, I guess, but, but I think, um, you know, I had a really strong season, uh, in sort of like my scene, like senior year of being a junior track athlete. And, and I remember then going into senior track, my coach at the time sort of saying, well, now you're, you know, you're going to go and compete against the wolves, Tamara. And I, I feel like I never really got to do that properly. Like there were some, some like other good times in my, my track career, but so much of it was defined by dealing with injuries and being frustrated about setbacks. Um, I felt like some of the competition at Oceanside was like, okay, now I can like test myself against the wolves here properly. Um, so, so that felt really good. And I think ways that I felt strong in the race, um, I can tie pretty directly to having dealt with a lot of setbacks and, and also to having kind of accepted that, um, just kind of accepted the state of my athletics as they were rather than regretting that I felt like I hadn't had some of the track results I could have. I felt like I was in a place where I felt happy with how things had turned out athletically anyway. And I think sometimes that, um, kind of frees you to move forward and and it's nice for that to come out as a good result, but, um, 
yeah, it's just, it's sort of like a nice milestone and feeling really happy with how things have gone over the past few years. Do you feel like it, it has been worth it? I mean, you're not done obviously, but um, you know, if you, if someone was in a similar situation now where they're, they're in that down period and, you know, they are worried and, and you were, I mean, it wasn't a whole decade, but it was, it was a long period of time. And now you're on a better trajectory. I mean, are you, are you proud of yourself for like continuing? Yeah. Yeah. I am. I am very proud of myself. I think, um, I wouldn't say it would be worth it just for an athletic result. I think what's made it worth it is more, um, sort of like ways that I feel that I've developed as a person or become stronger through going through, through a lot of that process. And like, it's, it's nice for it to come out with some good objective, like external results, but, um, you know, what had kind of made it worth it before that was, um, just feeling like I had become a stronger athlete. And I, I think with triathlon, I've really had a lot of fun working at, at swim and bike and some other sports. So, um, I think part of the process of psychologically dealing with, with some of the injuries and, and staying in sport at all was, um, valuing the journey. And, and so I think if you're, if you're, and part of, part of that was also switching to triathlon, which was a journey that I just like better than, than the track journey I was on. So, um, it's really, really nice to have a strong race. I think just that in isolation without some of the other things I feel like I've learned or like other things that have happened in my life through that process wouldn't, wouldn't be worth it on its own. It's sort of like a full package of things. Do you and feel Nicole, like, sorry, oh, I just want to ask yeah. one more question. Cause it's clear when you're talking Tamara that like, you know, you were, you were quick to say like, well, lifetime is a little bit dramatic. Right. And like, <laughs> it's not all tied into an athletic result per se, you know, which I think is like a super mature perspective to have. And one that like needs a voice in sport, right. For people's like career longevity and for young rookie athletes, like coming up in the sport, like hearing that more is very, very important. And so do you think the Tamara of 10 years ago would have said those things or would she be like shocked to hear you kind of have that perspective? Like, has that been something you've, you've worked on as you've dealt with injury and the highs and lows that's come with career? Um, I think, I think it's definitely, I've been able to sort of solidify that. And I, I think certainly as like a, a junior track athlete, it was easy to fall into a bit of a trap of people convincing you that the results are sort of worth anything. And, um, and also, I mean, for me just running into injury after injury, after injury, it felt like that was, um, such a, a failure, um, and such a, like, disappointment to myself and everyone and everyone involved in terms of not achieving my potential. And, and I just think, um, you know, even, even then certainly there was still like other things in my life and perspective, but I, I just think that it's solidified. And, and I think I value, um, you know, like I think even just now with minor injuries, I deal with them better partly because I've learned to like, value that process for myself or, or like view it as less of a failure and more of a, like, um, I just see better what I get out of it. Or, and I also value like the healing process my body will go through. So, um, I guess it comes up a lot, sort of people talking about being like process versus results oriented. And I think, um, 
I care a lot about the results, but I, I think I've, I don't know, the process is kind of like what makes it worthwhile for me. And I think that that's been solidified over the past few years. And Nicole, I, I did just read your real tri squad update about your 10th place finish and how immediately post-race you weren't really sure what place you had finished. And it took, you know, getting to your phone and reading congratulations, text messages from friends and family to realize that you had finished top 10 and, and that, I mean, we just talked about process versus results. And, and so it was like finding out that result that kind of did help you see that it was a really <laughs> solid performance. And I can relate to, to that a little bit because it is hard sometimes if you're not like in those top three, you're just like, I have no idea what place I am. And like, it's weird. Cause your yeah. brain will be like, you're in like 74th and there you're like, there's aren't 74 <laughs> people in the race, you know, maybe in the men's race, but no, no, there weren't even that many in then, but I just, it's just like an interesting thing. And it's like, uh, can you talk to our audience about that, about, um, that emotional roller coaster? Yeah, I'll be honest. I went, I finished the race and I said to the first volunteer who tried to put a medal on me, I said, where's the bathroom? Um, part of it, I had to go to the bathroom, but part of it was like, I just want to be alone right now. And it was really tough to, you know, and I knew a lot of people out there and there was like so many great cheers for me, for RTS in general, a couple of people who call me Tamara, which I totally accept as a compliment. And, <laughs> um, but I just like, I didn't have anybody to like, the, who I was planning to see at the finish line. And I was, um, I had a feeling I was pretty, just felt like I was in no man's land, um, just based on trying to see women going the opposite direction. But after a time, like you start to just, you're a kind of like tunnel vision and you just don't even want to know. Um, so yeah, it, it can be like this. People don't realize that when we do the sport professionally and we're going to half dozen more races in a year that you don't always bring somebody with you to a race that can get, be very costly. And that, um, we don't always know what, how we're doing during the race, but like you said, especially if you're not in the top three or five. Um, so it's, it can be a pretty lonely endeavor and, you know, thank goodness I had Tamara and basically I adopted her parents for the weekend and the days leading up to the race who were just so kind and generous with their time. Um, uh, However, yes, it can be very, it can be pretty lonely, right? It's lonely at the top, as they say. <laughs> um, but I didn't want it to take uh, that loneliness, like the loneliness aside, the result was, you know, top 10 does sound good, but I still know from looking at results that I am 30 minutes away from the winners and, and a four and a half hour plus race for me, that's feels like a long time. And, and oh, go ahead. No, you no I just, I was just like saying though, I mean, it, it is like, uh, I think it's hard to talk about like, well, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but I, I think, okay. I'll let Alyssa go. I know, I, that was such well, a downer. And I ended on such a down. <laughs> well, no, but I'm just saying, I mean, I, I want to like praise your top 10. I was, someone yeah. who was like thrilled watching the tracker, like yelling to Matt, like Nicole's in the top 10. She's like, you know, <laughs> she's doing it because to me, you know, top 10 at Oceanside. It's like, that's always a race where there's really good age group racing going on. And there's a really, really good pro racing going on. Right. And like, despite mm -hmm. the fact that Ironman hasn't gotten the memo and like bumped up the prize purse, right. It's like, 
that race is always really strong. It's always going to have a good deep field and it's freaking April. Right. So like to have that happen, I feel like, I mean, I saw it as a great day for you. And I think a lot of other people out there did too. So, but it, it stings. It's hard when the payout's not to 10, right. The like, mm-hmm. you, you don't have someone there to like remind you of those key things right in the moment. And I think, yeah, I think it, it can be tough, but I know I was, Haley and I are both really happy for you. <laughs> Oh, thank you. And it does like, it did did take some conversations with my coach and some looking at the data to understand, okay, was this a great, was this a good race for April? And I also remind everyone says it's April, but I'm like, it's April for everybody, unless you're coming from Australia, which nobody, I don't think was there, made it from Australia. So um, it it did took some kind of non-emotional analysis of the data to make a more educated assessment of exactly how I did. And as someone who's been in the race a little, or, you know, been in the sport a while, I do think, I don't know, on a day, 30 minutes feels like a lot, but it's like wild how it, it isn't. It just takes things going a little bit different. I do think 10th place in that race is incredible. I did Oceanside once as an age grouper and I got, I think 12th in my age group. <laughs> and I was good. I would bend to Kona. I mean, it's a tough race. Um, and actually like, I felt like I, it is kind of odd because I finished that race and I was like, oh, next year I'm going to win my age group. <laughs> I don't know. That's just like, it is definitely just an interesting, uh, interesting, like thought process that goes through your head during the race immediately after the race. And we thank you for sharing that. Before. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's a very relatable that kind of ambivalence and and sort of some positive feelings and then that, but not immediately is so I don't know, it's a very relatable feeling and I think also in triathlon it's a little tough because um, it, it seems to me, at least like it's a sport that's still getting used to having sort of deeper and deeper fields. Whereas like in track, if you're like, Oh, I came 10th at a big race, it could be like, wow, that's, that's like amazing. And everyone understands right away. And I I feel like, um, at least to me, it seems like in triathlon, people don't always understand that as quickly, or it's sort of like a learning curve for the sport as, as you know, more and more people are getting into it and, and having really good performances. Yeah. People like to like wait for Torsten's reviews and be like, is this, you know, before they'll give you the, which is like crazy. We all need to be. Torsten always tells me I'm more. terrible. I know. That's why I'm like, that's told me to go. my face. I was like, <laughs> I know you're just being German, but, um, can we be a little nicer today, but anyway, Alyssa, anyway, okay. moving on. Okay. So Tamara and interviews and race recaps, you're always quite quick to praise your coaches, especially, you know, in this instance, attributing your ability to stay calm while serving your bike penalty to your coach, Suzanne Zalazo. I should know how to, we talked about her quite a bit in your other Iron Woman episode. So I think I'm saying that right. So can you tell us more about your mindset during races, especially when something, you know, seems to go wrong, right? Like that, the bike penalty. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously I don't, this race was a good race for me in terms of being able to stay positive all the way through it. I, I am always striving for that and not achieving it perfectly in every race, obviously. But I think Suzanne, um, is very, um, very compassionate, but not very patient with sort of complaining about, uh, setbacks in an unproductive way. And I really like her, her mindset just sort of folds anything that is sort of like wacky or goes wrong or whatever it is during a race into this is part of the activity. This is part of what you are out there on the day to deal with. And so how did you deal with it? And um, 
I think that, um, that approach rather than also, I think the way she presents it, it's not like she's there to punish you if you didn't deal with something perfectly, but you kind of get points for dealing with it well. And and I'm also getting better at, at internally giving myself points for, for dealing with something well. And, um, and it, I don't know, to me, it makes it more fun. It's like something goes wrong. So how do we deal with this? And it, it keeps you, um, uh, I don't know, it gives you like agency through all of it. Um, and it makes me always feel like I can, um, cope, <laughs> cope with things. I like, whether it's something like, like a penalty like that, or like you're, I don't know, I had once had a race where my water bottle cage, like fell off my bike awkwardly. And I was like holding it for half the race. And, um, it just is part of the race as opposed to, to something, I guess the other way to see it would be as something that has gone wrong. That is somehow like not part of the race that it's too bad that that happened to you. It's, it's more like, okay, this is, this is triathlon. And Tamara, social media and race recaps are now a huge part of our sport and your race did seem to cause a stir among some of your competitors. And I know Tim Hemming, uh, from triathlete, he did ask you if you were aware of the surprise reactions that, uh, some of your competitors issued or kind of spoke of post-race and you seem to indicate that you, you didn't really care too much in that interview. So as an athlete who does kind of seem to do things her own way, like does social media chatter influence you at all? Um, I'm pretty selective about what I'll look at from competitors and often I'll look more at things if I, um, you know, have gotten to know someone well in person or something like that. And, and I just think, experiencing someone only through social media sometimes isn't really productive or, or even like fair to them. It's hard to get like a full picture. I think, um, not even so much for this race. I think at Collins cup last year too, like sometimes, and, and not even other competitors, I feel almost a little bit like, um, like taken aback by how surprised people are whenever I can swim and bike. Cause I feel like I've been working really, really hard for two years at it. So I think, uh, after Collins cup, there was actually a media person who I know, and who's often like very generous to me, but I was expressing some sort of frustration of like, Oh, like, Anne is so impressive. And I just, Oh, I'm like almost there. I just couldn't believe I let her get away like that or something. And he was sort of like, well, Tamara to even mention you in the same sentence as, as Anne hog, it was as though like, I wasn't allowed to be upset for coming second in that, that match or like to expect more of myself. And I felt a little annoyed by that. Um, uh, and then I just think it helps to like, go back to the people who have seen more of the journey. So actually Grace Tech was from Australia, was there, uh, racing in the world triathlon long course championship. Uh, and I kind of mentioned it to her and she was like, oh, well I've seen your, your bike progress, Tamara. Like I wasn't surprised that you were there on the bike in the the Collins Cup match. And so I think comments like that, that mean a lot. And that made me feel a little bit better. Yeah. It actually, it makes me feel better too, because, um, as somebody who's like a consistent, just out of the money slot, sometimes in the money, but usually kind of on the fringe it. And like, you're like, for me, like, I'm feel like I'm constantly trying to just prove that I'm worth being in the pro field because it, it is, you know, being so not so far back being a very consistent middle of the pack pro is what I call myself. And I think that's objectively fair thing to say. And so it's, it's shocking for me to hear that you also have had similar pe- experiences saying, oh, 
but to be in the same sentence as Anne Howe, like that's that's wild to me. But I also I can that definitely resonates. And Nicole, so you, you know, are also like on social media and, you know, are you like, what's your strategy, I guess, with social media when you're posting, are you on there to post, get your content out to the world? And then you're like, Doop, shut it off. And I'm going to go back to camp now. Or are you like consuming from your competitors? And like, you know, how do you compartmentalize that to make sure you like, you know, keep your, keep your game face on when you need to and things like that. I, I follow a couple, I don't follow all the pros. I follow a couple of select pros who I admire. Um, actually, Grace Tech is one of them. And people who I've had first have, sorry, people who I have had a positive experience with in person. And it's kind of like, it's kind of nice that I'm not even usually part of the conversation um, at all about what's about to happen. There's certainly a lot of pressure off of that. And when I got to witness firsthand traveling with Tamara to and staying with her at Oceanside and the days leading up to it and seeing the media obligations. And even if it's just one a day in the three days leading up to it or two a day, it I can tell how much more planning it requires to fulfill those experiences or to fulfill those obligations. Um, I'm not saying I don't, part of me doesn't wish I had them because that sounds really cool and you know sexy to me. And however, it is nice to really not have like nobody cares how I do except for me ultimately, and maybe a couple of fans. So my approach to social media is to really, um, I just uh, I want to make Real Triswad proud, and I want to elevate that brand because I'm having so much fun right now being on that squad, and uh, it's 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 definitely elevated my game, and it's elevated the fun that I've had within the sport. So it's, yeah, it's, I feel I'm happy. I'm content with where I'm at and I don't need to be like the center of attention. Or uh, Nic- Nicole, I think you're selling yourself short. I can see on your social media, you have lots and lots of fans there. Um, but Man, I think you're, they you're selling your performances you. short as someone who has yeah. been like run down by you. <laughs> um, you're selling your athletic okay. performance. You're going to make me feel bad. Um, Tamara, no, I do want to talk I, more. I, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I I guess I just say like, it's something that really stands out to me about this podcast that I, you know, have enjoyed it. I don't really listen to much sort of um, triathlon news, but I've always enjoyed this podcast because I feel like I get to hear from all of my competitors on it. So I'll like run into Lenny at a camp and then she's being interviewed or like uh, I went back uh, and listened to Nicole's interview from 2020. Like, I just think it does introduce voices from across the whole field and um, it, it stands out. Like it's too bad that that doesn't happen more often because we're all working really hard and we all have really interesting stories. <laughs> It is true. And I do want to hear more about the real tri squad. And cause Tamara, I think you've been a part of it for several years. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and, and why you are a part of the real tri squad? Yeah. So I was rejected by the real tri squad in their first year. Um, but I swallowed my pride and have become more involved with it. Um, I think when it first got started, at least my impression, um, uh, and actually Leslie might have more background on this because I know she's been with them a little bit longer, but uh, a lot of it was Jackson and Nick and then Jackson's friend Garrick as well as sort of core um, members and they're all good friends with each other, kind of starting it out. And I kept getting these messages 
in like 2020, I guess, from Jackson being like, oh, we're kind of doing this. Are you interested? And then I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm kind of interested. And then it just, I was cut out of the whole plan. Um, And then they had two women leave their group after the first year who I think one left triathlon and the other one left for another team in South America. And so then they were looking for more women and they circled back to me and and I thought um, I would try it out for a year, but, um, I I was really attracted to it because, um, I think triathlon can be really lonely. Sometimes I was, I was still working as a lawyer and I was a little interested in, um, like, like trying to build some sponsor relationships, but not wanting to have to do that all on my own while I had a ton of other stuff to do. And, and Jackson has always been generous at helping me with some connections like that. And and I know Nick is good at it. So they were helping with that a bit. And it seemed like something that could possibly move into becoming more of a community. And, and I think it's come a long way since then. Um, and, and is really gelling more and more in, into, a real team. I think we just did a camp in Henderson that Nicole was at as well. And I think that was really, really good for us and led to some really good discussions as well about good directions forward for the team. I don't know, Nicole, and Nicole is one of our new squad members this year. So I'm, I'm interested to hear what, what she'll say about her impressions sort of coming in this year. Yeah. I, I, like I mentioned, having a lot of fun it's, and camp was, a great time for us to get to know each other better. And aside from our, you know, our virtual team meetings and such. And one thing that attracted me to the squad was that we would have a couple of races that we were strongly encouraged to do. And I had noticed that last year where there's a couple of key races on the calendar where, Oh, like the whole tri squad there, most of them are there. And um, having the opportunity to feel more like, and I know I understand triathlon's an individual endeavor, but all of the the supplemental things like just getting to somewhere or sharing a rental car, securing accommodations, and sharing knowledge about the course on the day and just bouncing ideas off of one another was uh, is something that I attracted to me attracted me to the squad, and that has certainly delivered already through Oceanside. Just having that energy on the course. And having people shout out, um, cheering for Real Tri Squad, our uniform is very recognizable, which I love. And um, yeah, so so far so good. I think our next race that uh, the vast majority of us will be at is Montchamblant seventy point three in June. And Nicole, so you know, you talked about how this is your first year. You went to the camp in Henderson, Nevada, and then continued to travel with Tamara to Oceanside. That's a long time to like spend together. Right. And so, I mean, were you nervous at all that you and Tamara wouldn't get along, that it would like be a disaster to like spend that time training and then be like, oh my gosh, now we're going to race together. Like, how do I exit? Like, what's my, did you have an exit strategy? I think I probably would have, because like, I always feel like the introvert in me causes me to like always be nervous. I, I don't, I wasn't nervous. I think I was so focused on getting to Henderson and trying to keep my, my day job. And that was almost more paramount. And then it was a bunch of us in the house too. It wasn't, so I got to like, kind of had, it wasn't just like me and Tamara one-on-one at once I first got to camp, it was the whole group dynamic. And then as we shifted on the Tuesday before Oceanside, 
we were on our off on our own together. But um, I was so great to get to know her. And I feel so fortunate that I've had a firsthand account on of what a world-class athlete does and how they approach the race, even just talking about, Hey, what time do you want to leave for this ride? Or, Hey, should we stop at the grocery store on the way to the rental car place? Just little, the minutia of the day-to-day, we were both so clear and we're both planners. And I think that really helped us get along. Tamara, same question for you. Were you you nervous? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I, I think, um, like, no, I was nervous about going to the camp. I wasn't nervous about spending time with Nicole after the game. <laughs> but so I guess, first of all, the trip with Nicole, like, I think, um, there is always part of me at a race that does want to be like in my little bubble, just focused on my own stuff. But I found that whenever I have traveled with someone else to a race that in that way, it is actually really nice to have another person to like bounce ideas off of, or just like talk through the schedule with like talk through course recon with. And, um, I, I think that was really nice for me to have during that week as well. And, um, I, I think, the trip, the logistics of the trip from, uh, Las Vegas to, to Oceanside, I think definitely required two people. There, there was, uh, there were three car changes and packing attempts. And, and I think, um, at one point, Nicole standing with like two bikes and two bike cases and all of our like extra luggage from camp alone at the Las Vegas car rental while I went to get the car. So I just think having another person to help keep track of so much stuff and then figure out how to fit so much stuff into different cars was, um, really helpful. I think, um, I think I was the the camp. I ended up being there a bit early. And so it was just me and Nick chase for like five days before everyone else showed up. And I think both Nick and I were a little bit like, Oh gosh, how is this going to go? Because I think, um, we've sometimes felt like we're pretty different people, but I think it was really good, um, to get to know each other better. And then as we added like each person at the camp, I just felt like the whole team dynamic really like came alive during that week um, and was so much fun by, by the end. I feel like, you know, after um, a couple of years of like kind of knowing each other, but doing a lot of just like online or over WhatsApp work, um, it, it's really helped have better communication about sort of like work related stuff. And, and I just feel like those friendship bonds are forming a bit more. So I, I was like a little reluctant to go to, <laughs> to, to get out of my comfort zone and, and be there, but just, I think it's turned out really, really, um, well, and is a good reminder that, um, as much as it's hard to leave home, sometimes it's, it's usually for the best to put yourself in those yeah. situations. Yeah. And I, I give Tamara credit because we got into this routine of like watching the hangover uh, movie series. I think there's three, are there three of them, but we watched the hangover yeah. one, one night, the next night we watched the hangover two, And then their night Tamara was like, do you guys like want to play a game? It's kind of like charades. And so, but it's called fishbowl. And we had so much fun. Like we just like laughed for like, um, like over an hour. And I, that helped us like just kind of bond as a team as like cheesy as it sounds like that's what camp is for. And it sounds like the hangover three will be first up on the slew of activities that you guys have at your next camp. If you have, <laughs> you can get to that one. Uh, what about like workouts and stuff at camp? 
you know, people have different coaches and things like that. You know, Nicole, how did it, did you, was everyone kind of on their own? And yeah, you- uh, no. So like, I, we were, I, okay. <laughs> I was apprehensive about this part because we all have different coaches. And as you said, and different schedules and different paces. However, we were very transparent and open about what we had to do each day. And some people were, I was surprised at the flexibility of of everybody at camp where some people would be like, you know what, I have a, like, I have a session, but my coach said, if there's something that's more interesting, or if I have somebody to swim with, just go do that session. So there was even a session that I had, and we were five days out. It was the Sunday before Oceanside and Tamara did my entire workout with me. My, it was a swim and we did side by side because she's a lot faster, but it was, it shows you that sometimes it's more uh, quality of workout over the specificity of assigned workout is way more important. So, um, and then for the rides, we always, a lot of us usually set out together. And then once we got to Lake Mead, which is about 25 to 30 minutes away riding, we would then go off and do our own sessions and regroup and ride home together. So everyone was really great about being flexible and, uh, setting some times ahead of time. Yeah, I feel poor Nicole leading up to the camp was like the most proactive about trying to get everyone to send schedules to coordinate. And I feel like we were all kind of like, uh, we're not quite sure what we're doing. We'll figure it out there. So we couldn't give her a straight answer. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's actually something that's that's been a strength, you know, as much as I, I keep talking about sort of like some growing pains on the team as it's come together. I think that's always been a strength of this set up like because it is a team managed mostly by triathletes everyone is pretty understanding that that all of us have um you know like some things that specifically we need to do that might be different but then then are good at at coordinating where we can coordinate and and I think the camp was a really nice mix like anyone who needed to do something specific was able to get that in but there was a lot of overlap so that we could also be working together and Tamara, while we have you, uh, you shared a really interesting post on Instagram re- recently about your shoe choices and using super shoes in training and dealing with Achilles pain. And so this is something that I know as a coach, I've had athletes who, you know, have had Achilles issues, um, not necessarily related to super shoes, but that definitely is a factor to consider. Can you, can you, I know I'm like asking you to like condense an entire, like well thought out post into 10 seconds, but, um, you can take more than 10 seconds, but can you share (laughs) some of those thoughts just in general? Because, uh, you know, you obviously put a lot of thought into it. Um, yeah, so there's um in Toronto there's a really good uh sort of chirophysio clinic called the Runners Academy that um and and the main guy who owns that Dr. Chris Shepard I've been working with since partway through undergrad university he's just been um around in the the running community in Toronto for a long time and is very thoughtful um about the research he does and also just ways that his he does a lot of work on like running gait and and just the way that he thinks about that has kind of evolved over the past decade um as well and and so I was at a um conference that he was speaking at that was run by a triathlon club in Toronto. Um, and part of his talk was just about the, um, 
partly like the structure in some of the super shoes and just partly that you don't always end up using your calves quite as much, which over time can lead to a bit of calf weakness, but then also just with the structure sometimes being a little bit less stable in the way that you're landing. If people have any, um, other factors contributing to instability that can show up as Achilles issues. Um, and so he was talking about this and I was so interested because I had for the first time ever over this past winter started having some mild Achilles issues. And it, it had really surprised me because although I have a long injury history, that had not been one of them. And one of the things that I had been doing was, um, running in super shoes a lot more than I normally would for training, just, just partly because I felt badly, like I had a bunch of pairs of shoes that I didn't feel were like quite fresh enough to race in anymore, but I wanted to make sure I was still using them. Um, and I had been lazy about replacing some of my normal training shoes. And, and so just through that, I was wearing them more and this Achilles issue that I was experiencing just really matched some of the, um, description he was bringing up based on his experiences and research. Um, so I have been more cautious. I, I still do some training in the super shoes, but I, a lot less, I've gone back a lot to the other shoes that I have been training in and that as well as being pretty careful about isometric exercises, um, has really helped. And, and we've been able to, with very few modifications to training, get rid of the Achilles pain that I was feeling fascinating. And I think, I hope, I hope our listeners are listening closely. Cause I do think that is, <laughs> uh, I know there's a lot there. Yeah, no, but... they can check out your Instagram too, for the, to go back to, but, yeah. um, yeah, I think that's definitely a great lesson learned. We're glad that you were able to share. And we don't want to, again, we know you're both super busy and like Nicole, you're at training camp right now. So just, you know, before we wrap up here, can you share your race plans for the rest of the season? Like Nicole, I think you might be making your Ironman debut in 2023. Can you share? Yes. Yeah. So I, it's, I guess it's, it's time that I'm, I'm fueled by curiosity. I wanted to make sure I wasn't fueled by peer pressure to do my first full Ironman. And there hasn't really been that much. However, I am going to do Montchamblant full in August, which kind of, it was, I wanted it to be able to drive to it. And I wanted my parents to be able to come up from Pennsylvania to watch me as well. So it was either Lake Placid or Montremblant. And so I chose Montremblant and uh, so that I could do main 70.3, which is basically like the most local possible half Ironman I could do. So kind of backing into the schedule that way, um, basically Montremblant will determine the rest of my year. So my next, uh, my next race for sure will be Boulder 70.3 in June this year. They've moved it from August, um, due to, I think temperature and forest fires. And I know that's sad, but true. And then two weeks after that is a mantra bot half where I'll get to see some of the course. Um, and then July 30th is main 70.3 and August 20th or 23rd. I always forget is the full. I would have peer pressured you into doing much from blunt full. If I knew that was an option. I love that race. Uh, Tamara, what about you? It sounds like Ibiza is next. Yeah. Yeah. So Ibiza, which is, um, I forget whether it's May 5th or 6th, but one of those days. And then, um, I've wanted to try more racing in Europe. So I thought I would use that as an excuse to stay and do 70.3 acts of Provence at the end of May before I come home. Um, 
So yeah, that's next up. And then 70.3 Tremblant in June, which is always exciting to have races in Canada because there aren't a lot of pro races here. Um, so that's, those are the next few things. One thing actually too, with RTS that I wanted to say is, um, we do have an age group squad now and that's new this year. And, and that was something that, um, was kind of exciting for us at Oceanside. It was the first time we got like a lot more engagement from our age group squad. And, and that was a little bit of fun, extra cheering, um, and I've been taking over writing some of our newsletters. So we were for that race for our newsletter that our squad gets, but then also for our blog, which is just up on our website, we were able to, um, feature some of our age group triathletes and, and hopefully we're going to be building that way. So that's a fun thing going forward. And, and hopefully at some of these races coming up, we'll see more and more of our RTS gear, uh, out around the course. Yeah. We just and- opened up our store again on Jack Roo, mm-hmm. So and Tamara's been working really hard on the RTS newsletter and it's just full of really good tidbits and um, encourage people to sign up for that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we will definitely <laughs> we'll get the links from you both for all of those things and we'll put them in the show notes for everyone uh, to make sure that it can be quick and easy to get that done. So thank you both for spending time with us, telling us about the your season so far, the real tri squad, what's coming up, everything. And we just look forward to to cheering you on the season. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, Lissa, it has only been a few months into 2023, but there has already been some really impressive racing. Uh, So fun to talk to Tamara and Nicole about their races in Oceanside. It has me psyched for the rest of the season. I'm excited to follow both of them and the rest of the real tri squad. And it was really fun to learn more about the real tri squad. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's fun to have these different stories. Like, like Tamara said, all these different stories that we're able to hear from different women in the sport and they're all impressive. And that makes their performances even more fun to watch. Yes. So make sure you take a look at the show notes, follow, sign up for that newsletter, all of those things and help support them because they are racing fast and you definitely want to be seeing what they're up to next. And Haley, I can see over there that you are wearing a sweatshirt with no sleeves. So spring must be in the air in Bozeman. So go out, enjoy it. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ella Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.